welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. to episode 142 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, there's something I need to tell you, because I've launched a Patreon. And if you don't know what that is, that's just a really cool way that you can help to support the podcast and get involved with the podcast. You can sign up on the link in the episode notes, and it's £5 a month. And that money just goes towards, well, all the little things that I need to do behind the scenes to keep this podcast going. So whether it's hosting fees, website fees, paying for Zoom every month, and all these little costs that don't seem like a lot initially, but now that I've been doing this for two and a half years, they're starting to add up a little bit, right? And it just means that I can keep this show on the road for as long as possible. I wanna make it worth your while, and I wanna give you something for your money. So what I'm gonna do for the Patreon is upload the videos of the recordings as soon as they happen. So you'll be able to watch these episodes weeks before they come out. Once the episodes are prepped and ready, upload those two. So rather than waiting five, six weeks for an episode to come out on a Monday, you'll be able to listen straight away. When there's enough of us, we're gonna start doing a monthly hangout on Zoom where we can just meet up and hang out and chat and check in on each other. And I quite like the idea of tying in a book club alongside that as well, and we can recommend reads and all that sort of stuff. And I love this idea of building a community of like-minded people, people with a passion for mental health and building that community around the podcast. So if that's something that you'd like to get involved in, if you'd like to help support the show, there's a link in the episode notes and any and all support would be greatly appreciated. Anyway, that's my sales pitch over with. This is episode 142 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Cara Lissette, who is a mental health writer and campaigner, a registered mental health nurse and a CBT therapist. And in this episode, I chat to Cara about her work in mental health services and some of the reasons why she got into nursing and trained to be a therapist. And Cara's got many years of experience of living with an eating disorder and bipolar disorder. And in this episode, Cara and I chat about some of the ways that these diagnoses impact each other and how she manages them both day to day. And we chat about her experiences of mental ill health during her childhood and the difference between the child and adult services that she's accessed over the years. And we talk about recovery and relapse and the sort of murky water, I suppose, that's in between those two spaces and what that looks like, but more specifically what that feels like. And Cara is also the author of some creative activity journals for eating disorders, for bipolar and for OCD. And these were inspired by some of the creative tools that she used as part of her own recovery. And we also get into what that kind of looked like and how that worked and how that inspired these journals and we talk about creativity and the role it plays in general in good mental health. It was lovely chatting to Cara. I always find it fascinating chatting to people who have lived experience of mental ill health but also work in mental health services. I think that's such a important insight into both sides of the coin. As a very general rule, mental health services get quite a bad rap, right? So it's great to get the opportunity to speak to someone who can talk about both sides of it. And a similar sort of conversation with accessing support services as a child and as an adult, because that's really interesting to me. Because really, when a, a child becomes an adult, it's often just a case of waking up on a different date, right? The other side of a birthday and suddenly you're an adult. And that's not necessarily accounted for. So it was really interesting to get Cara's insight into all that stuff. It's a lovely conversation. She was a lot of fun to chat to. She's really, really lovely. And I liked her a lot. If you look in the episode notes, there's a link to her website. From there, you can read some of her blogs. You can order her books. You can find out about her campaigning and all the other things that she does. Also in the episode notes is all the links that you need to track me down and find out more about this podcast and previous guests on this podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, or any other episodes of the Proper Mental Podcast, if you could take two minutes to rate and review on whatever platform you're listening on, that'd be very much appreciated. And if you want to like and share and spread the word on social media, that would be very much appreciated too. This is episode 141 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Cara Lissette. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Cara Lissette. How are you, mate? 
I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, thank you for joining me this evening. I um, I really appreciate it, mate. It's lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's cool. Um, <laughs> I um, I've been kind of like looking at all the different things you do, um, and like making loads of notes, and you really do an incredible amount of stuff. And I was almost like spoilt for choice of where to start today, <laughs> Cara. I didn't know where to to jump in, but I thought um, a nice place to start. Um, as well as I'm sure we'll get to the, the, you know, the writing and the books and the blogging and the campaigning and all that stuff. But I wanted to start with your day job, mate, because you work in mental health services, right? I do. Yeah. So I'm a, a mental health nurse by background. And um, in 2021, um, I went back to uni and did a postgrad qualification to train as a CBT therapist. So I now work as a CBT therapist in a um, CAM service, so child and adolescent mental health service in the NHS. Oh wow, that's amazing! Yeah, was it? Um, was there any particular reason why you wanted to work in children's services? Um, I always have to be honest. So I've worked in mental health services since I was eighteen, nineteen. So basically, like as early as I as I could. Um, and I worked with adults for literally about a year, and then I've worked in CAMS ever since. So that's been where I've spent like my entire career, really. Um, I just always liked working with kids. I did toy was training to be a teacher for a little while, um, but kind of went down the mental health route in the end and I worked in inpatient services for a while um and then when I qualified as a nurse I went into like a crisis team and then I've gradually just um filtered further and further out into the community and now I work in sort of like a nine-to-five um community post which is really nice because I always did shift work like my entire life until the last couple of years um and it's been lovely just <laughs> having like a really stable like nine-to-five sort of routine now um and therapies like uh it's a much more my diary looks very similar week to week whereas when I was doing nursing like in the crisis team I never knew what I was doing until I turned up in the morning so it's been a real like lifestyle change as well um for me uh doing that role but um yeah I just I always I love working with children I think you can be really creative they're really fun um I think if you can um influence people's mental health journeys when they're younger you can sort of potentially change the trajectory of their whole life so I think you can make really like positive um changes as well so yeah I always I've never really not worked with children so I think I'd struggle in a different environment now yeah yeah definitely yeah like it's something really nice about yeah like you say having that that influence and be able to help that young age and then um yeah and then the effect the ripple effect that that's going to have throughout their life I think that a lot of us who have um you know faced our own mental health challenges probably kind of look back and think oh that would have been useful to know (laughs) a few years yeah definitely and like my care was so good when I was a child when I was under mental health services and I just always kind of um actually some of my colleagues now are people that uh looked after me when I was in um, oh, wow. child mental health services so um they were kind of the people that I always like looked up to when I was younger and thought oh, I want to be like them when I'm older and I want to be able to um have the you know impact on people's lives that these people have had on my life and now um we kind of one of them ended up being my manager in like my first nursing post and um I'm in like a supervision group with like another one that was out sort of like when I was in hospital um so that's been really nice as well getting to see people um and sort of I don't know I think it's been nice for them to see like oh look at this person we looked after and now they do all these things and they're you know in their job and in their life and um you know it's nice for me to think that maybe some of the young people I look after might then be able to go on and do really cool things um when they're older that's really nice it's like paying it forward right yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah something really nice about that Did, did your own experiences did that kind of influence your decision to work in this in this area did that play a factor or do you think you might have probably always done it anyway no, I think it did. I think it did. Um, because I was never like when I left school, I did fashion design at college for three years. So it wasn't like I was always, you know, I'm going to be a therapist or a nurse or a counsellor or whatever. Um, when I grow up, it, it kind of um, it ended up just sort of drifting in that direction because of things that happened like in my in my personal life and um I think that just like the nurses that looked after me were all amazing and that was kind of what made me think yeah I think I want to do that um when I'm older and then also I've had like really uh positive experiences of therapy so that's why I kind of wanted to end up getting like additional training so like you kind of uh in nursing you kind of go two routes really you go like clinical leadership or you go like operational leadership and I'm just not somebody that's designed to sit in a sit in a desk and be a manager you know I'm much more designed I think to be someone who's actively like doing clinical work so that's why I went and did sort of extra training in that in that area 
Yeah. Do you how do you find with like switching off? And I always think with people who work in the services is like it must be so hard to. Uh, I have a problem with empathy, as in I've got much too much of it. <laughs> I'd like I you know I, it's so yeah. I'm always interested in how people like sort of separate themselves from from the work they do. It must be challenging. It is. I think you get better at it with practice. Um, and I think it's like. I, this is very much my experience like other people might find it completely different but I find it easier in the role I'm in now than I did when I was working um in like much higher risk environments and like much more intense environments particularly when I was doing shifts um because it's really hard to switch off if you finish work at no time to switch off you know because you, you have to be ready to go back in the next day whereas like now um because my routine is like so stable and I I see the same people at the same time every week and um it's it's much easier to do that um in this kind of job I think compared to jobs that I've been in previously but can still be difficult sometimes but I think you get better at it with practice yeah yeah I suppose routine's good routine's good for all of us I'm a, a creature of habit and I like to kind of know <laughs> know where I'm where I'm going and what I'm doing that suits me very well we we're just my kids break up for school tomorrow so we're about to enter the summer holidays where there's no routine and like for the first couple of days I'll really enjoy that and then by the first second week of August I'll be like oh my gosh yeah. I'll be like craving to get back into uh into my yeah. routine but I didn't realize I liked routine so much until I got such a good routine and now I'm like oh I love this actually <laughs> I've never never done this before until I was like yeah in my 30s and then I was just like oh this is actually really nice go to work at the same time have dinner at the same time go to bed at the same time and I think for a lot of people that sounds like gosh that's really boring but for me I'm like I feel really content that you know I've got this nice my life was very stable and I like that yeah I think as well you know some people have like faced a certain amount you know because of mental health related things you know some of us have faced a lot of instability and it's like it's quite nice to just tick over and I think enough unexpected things have happened to me like I don't need to go looking for them you know and I quite like yeah I totally agree yeah just kind of like (laughs) plodding along yeah I suppose to get into that a a little bit more if we can chat a little bit about your your background um Cara but when were like your first experiences with mental ill health um probably like sort of pre-teens I guess um maybe like 11 12-ish I would say um was when things started to feel like they were getting more difficult I've always struggled with like body image and low self-esteem and stuff ever since I was like very young but I'd say to the point where it started to become noticeable I was probably around 12-ish um and then I started seeing mental health services when I was 13. Right. Yeah, that sounds, you know, I mean, that, that it's a it's common for young people to have these experiences. But I think when you're um, when you're a grown up and you, you like, you know, it sounds so young, doesn't it? Like, when, yeah. you're, when you're looking, looking back at it. Yeah. Did you yeah. how did that start to play out for you? How did you get to the point where you needed to to get help? Did people <laughs> spot that in you or because it's hard to spot it in yourself when you're, you know, still a child? I suppose. Yeah. And I think definitely back then as well, there was much less uh, like awareness of mental health problems. Like I think schools are getting a lot better at talking about it now. And there's a lot more um, sort of like mental health literacy around um, compared to when I was a teenager. So um, I was kind of like, I'm the only person in the world that's ever felt like this. And I know like mental illness feels a bit like that anyway, but I think it felt like that even more so then because I didn't have anyone around me that I thought was having like similar experiences to me. So um, I think it started just that my mood was like just not great and then I think it was that was when like the eating problems started to become more pronounced um and then I think it was just like a combination of those two things started to become noticeable to the point where I think my um parents or my mum thought uh, you know I think this is something that we probably need a bit more advice about yeah and as a as at that age at that young age what does being a like an impatient look like how does that how does that work so I was, I was under community services for two years and before I had my inpatient admission. Um, my experience was actually really positive um, and it has been overall of mental health services. And I think probably a lot of that is to do with like the diagnosis that I have. And I think I'm I'm generally quite placid and quite like amenable. And I think that means that that's kind of gone in my favour a little bit and that shouldn't be the case, but I think that probably has helped. Um, but so my experience was always really positive. Like the staff were for the most part really kind, um, really supportive. Like I went home at the weekends, most week, I think pretty much every weekend bar a couple. Um, I went home, they had a school there, which um, 
I was doing 14 GCSEs when I went in and I left with four. Um, so it obviously wasn't able to like completely replicate normal like mainstream school but it was enough that I got like the main ones that I needed um to be able to you know get into college and, and stuff like that um but it's just very structured like you know I were kind of just saying really you wake up at the same time every day you have all your meals at the same time you have groups to go to you have school so they try and um you know replicate outside as much as they can I think inside to make it easier to like integrate back out sort of into the world and you go out but there's lots of like therapeutic groups and stuff like that um I made lots of like nice friends there some of whom I'm still in contact with so yeah my experience is it although it obviously it was a very like challenging time in my life were very positive um but also something I didn't want to repeat so um you know I wasn't someone that left hospital and, and thought oh, that was somewhere, I don't know, where I felt like more safe or more cared for. Or that was something that I feel like I wanted to go back to because it was like meeting some sort of need that I had. It was more just like, okay, I've done that. That was as good as it could have been in a bad situation, but I don't ever want to do it again. Um, and subsequently haven't, thankfully. So um, yeah, overall, it was it was positive, but not something that I would you know have wanted to repeat. Yeah, sure. Did you go on to after so, um when you finished with that at what age would you have been Cara when uh so I went in at 15 and I left at 16 oh, okay right and then from 16 there do you then get um is there what age does it turn from children to adult services that 18, 18. Yeah. yeah so was it a case you kind of stayed in follow-up or something like that until yeah so stayed under cams until I was until I turned 18 and then I got discharged and then I went back into adult services when I was 20. 20 I think 2021 ish so I had a couple of years gap yeah yeah it was something I was quite interested to to talk about is um is going back into services you know it's kind of this idea around I don't even like using the word relapse to be honest it's something that doesn't feel quite right about that word but um it's probably the only word I've got um but it's a funny I don't know if you've experienced this at all and I think I'm probably talking about it because it's something that I've been experiencing recently myself but this idea of kind of getting to a point of like wellness and kind of thinking oh I think I've cracked this I think yeah. I'm okay and then ending up have, taking a you know two steps forward and a few steps back and it can be really strange and again I'm speaking from my own experience here but there's the sort of there's the part of me that is a mental health advocate and knows that, you know, that it's okay and to be kind to myself and compassionate and all these other things. But sometimes what you know and what you feel is different, right? So when you're in it yourself, it's very hard to stick to that, the narrative that you would give to someone asking for advice. Um, Yeah, it, 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 it's a strange place to be, isn't it? How, how do you know, do you know what I'm getting at? I'm kind of being a bit. Yeah, no, I do. Um, I think for like general mental health services, I've not really, that's not really bothered me too much, but going, having so many times back at the eating disorder service, I really struggled with, um, particularly because um, sometimes I was seeing the same people. Um, So I found it like when I went back most recently, the person that did my assessment was the person that was my last therapist. Um, So I felt very much like I don't know I'm kind of like letting people down and I failed and I'm like disappointing everyone because this is um you know somebody that helped me get to a place where I was more well and now I'm kind of even worse now than I was last time like things are you know things are much worse and um I guess I've, I found it quite difficult as well because I hold a lot of like stigma towards myself with regards to like my age and I think I I kind of thought this is something I should have grown out of now for want of a better word even though I would never expect that of anybody else um but for me I just kind of thought I don't know I shouldn't still be still be doing this and still kind of be stuck in the cycle that I'm in really because I've done this enough times before um so I found that really hard um going back into that service but into like general mental health services it's not been so much of a problem but I think it's because um 
not that it's not expected in eating disorder services, but people cycle in and out of community mental health service, particularly like for me, well, I have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which is just an inherently relapsing illness. Um, so I've never really held any sort of shame with that. But I think with regards to like my eating disorder, I've kind of held this expectation of myself of like, I should be able to recover from this um, because I've had the support that I need to get to that place and I still haven't managed it. Um, and now I am very well, but this is, you know, when I last time I went back into the service, where I was very, um, I felt very disappointed, like in myself and kind of held this perception that I was like disappointing other people as well. Yeah, yeah, I get that completely. It kind of all gets a little bit messy. You know, I know mm. that a problem for me is perfectionism. And yeah. I also know that that drives my need to get myself completely fixed and completely yeah. well and to crack the code. And it's the it's. Yeah. So even though I like, I know it's a part of me that makes me disappointed. And, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it just Definitely, gets, yeah. Um, yeah, it just gets, gets, um, gets so messy, but yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. I suppose it's one of them. I think I need to articulate these questions a little bit better before I do. <laughs> <into it, but laughs> yeah. You mentioned having a, um, a, a bipolar diagnosis as mm-hmm. well. Does the, is that easier easy to separate like your two diagnoses? Like, you know, is there blurred lines between them? We tend to talk about mental illness diagnosis as one thing when there's more than one thing. Well, there's further complications potentially, right? Um, They're kind of a bit of both, I would say, is the answer to that. So I see them being very separate in that one is something um, that, you know, I kind of basically I just bored with it and I have it forever and there's nothing I can do about that. Whereas like I'm, I'm in control of my eating disorder recovery and, you know, how I behave. And um, I'm not necessarily in control of what I think, but I'm in control of how I respond to those thoughts, right? It's how I tend to look at it. So I might still get negative thoughts about myself or about food or about my weight or whatever, but I don't have to do anything negative in response to those thoughts. And that's how I kind of stay in recovery. Whereas with like bipolar disorder, if I have a relapse, that's potentially completely out of my control. Um, But there are overlaps in that, for example, I don't know, when I have been um, manic before, I am very, very bad at looking after myself in terms of like eating and drinking enough and things like that. And then when that episode has passed, um, sort of me back in sort of level headed mode then has to kind of pick up the pieces of that without it then reverting into something um, happening with regards to like my eating disorder, if that makes sense. Um, so they are two separate things, but they do they didn't have a knock-on effect on each other like for when my eating disorder is worse that has a significant impact on my mood and how um depressed I feel sort of day to day so there are yeah they're separate but they they overlap I think yeah yeah it's interesting hey eh? somewhat this keeps coming up recently I, I find like a quote stands out to me and then it it, it keeps coming up for like a run of um, episodes but um someone said to me once that when it comes to like recovery, there's like almost two parts of recovery because there's the recovery from the illness itself. And then there's the recovering from the, all the, the, the ways that you had to live to deal with having that illness. And they're like the, yeah. the chaos that it reaped through your life that kind of needs sorting out. And I suppose if there's like more than one diagnosis, then yeah, definitely the, the chaos from one could potentially trigger the other one, you know, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot to think about, mate. Yeah, a lot, yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot to think about. Hence yeah. why I'm so, I'm, uh, I'm so happy having such a, a stable routine now because it's just one less thing to worry about, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very much so. It's uh, when, yeah, your brain's busy. It's quite handy to, um, yeah, find, yeah, find things for it to stop, to stop thinking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah, definitely. And what led you to, um, like campaigning and stuff like that? Then how did, um, how did that come about? So. Well, it started out um, when I was uh, before it was before I went in and did my nurse training. So I think it was sort of 20, no, 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, I started working for Time to Change, who were like a sort of anti-stigma mental health campaign that were funded by um, like the government and the National Lottery and stuff like that, uh, which the, the funding was withdrawn Um it was last year or the year before um so that campaign doesn't exist anymore which is really sad um but I used to uh work for them for a little bit and uh I used to like go around the country giving talks to like schools and youth clubs and things like that about um about mental health and like mental illness and um like my sort of experiences with it and then in my personal life uh nobody knew anything 
about any of that at all so it's like I had these two sort of separate lives going on um because uh, well mental health services are um sometimes very stigmatizing to mental illness which is obviously absolutely not how it should be um but I had this sense where I was like I work in services and if people find out that I've had my own difficulties they're going to think that I'm not very good at my job or that I'm not capable or that I shouldn't be working here um all these sorts of things and um so that I didn't really want anyone to know so in my like personal life yeah it was very very secretive and only people sort of very close in my very close circle um even has sort of any sense of what had really gone on in my personal life and then at the weekend I'd be like uh I don't know off in Kent doing a talk to like a 500 child assembly about it and then in the end I was like I can't just these two things just don't marry up anymore um and I was getting really good feedback from those things so I started writing blogs for like other people but also doing it anonymously um, for that same reason and then eventually the more like positive responses I got the more I was like maybe I'll just put my first name on it and then see how it goes and um and then I joined Twitter and there was this like sort of big like mental health community on there um and people it's, it's a bit quieter now I think in terms of like blogging and stuff but back when I sort of got more involved in it there was a lot of people like with their own blogs and um their own yeah little campaigns going on and talking about their experiences and stuff so sort of really gradually just stopped started like dipping a toe in um there and then it just sort of eventually became something that I suppose I felt a bit more confident with and I was getting like really um nice feedback from it and then it just kind of expanded from there really and then I just eventually became brave enough to be like yeah this is my name and my face and these are the experiences that I've had um but it was a it was a quite a gradual process I'd say it's probably over the course of maybe three years three or four years something like that yeah and how was that how was that received you know the the, when you eat more in your personal life and in work and stuff like that is that it kind was of what fine you, yeah, yeah it's absolutely fine um my friends are amazing um like they're amazing my boyfriend's amazing like my work um I do work in a different service now to the one I did previously but I do feel like I don't know whether it's because I work somewhere different or because things are just getting better but um it's a service that is like very um encouraging of like people that have had their own mental health problems and obviously like anecdotally I would say probably at least half of mental health professionals that I work with have had their own difficulties um because it's one of the things that drives people to come into this sort of job um so yeah they're my work are amazing like they've had me um do like workshops about eating disorders specifically speaking as somebody who's had experience of living with one um not not as from a professional and stuff like that so they're always like really encouraging um they um they're always like telling people about my books and stuff like that so they're always they're like really really encouraging of my sort of like side projects that I've got going on outside of that which is really nice so um it was um something I was very fearful of and it's probably to unnecessary levels really because all the stuff I was worried about didn't really happen yeah that's like that's so common isn't it it's almost like mm. that self self stigma that stops yeah. us speaking about things I suppose it's the same sort of reasons why people don't ask for help or don't mm -hmm. uh yeah but um you know most of the time there's a it's a lot better it's never as bad as we think it's going to be right speaking up and asking for help and yeah and it certainly things. hasn't been for me um if anything it's actually just been very good for me really like personally and professionally um doing those things so I mean if for some people it's not safe to do that for various reasons but like certainly yeah my experiences have always been that the worry is worse than the outcome yeah. And it, there's something about being able to kind of like be a whole person, isn't there? And like not pretend yeah. anymore and not separate those, those two things. It can be very, um, the pretense can be very like energy draining, can't it? it can be, um... Yeah. This is why I was finding quite difficult is I was thinking, I almost felt like, um, a bit fraudulent, I suppose. I've got all these close relationships with people and there's this enormous part of myself that I'm not allowing them to know or to see. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know. I'm expecting other people in these relationships to kind of share their, their selves with me and I'm not doing it back and it just didn't sit quite right. Um, and also like I was thinking, you know, I go to work every day and I'm expecting people to tell me all their, you know, these really difficult experiences. And then I'm not doing that to anyone in my own personal life either. And I just thought it just didn't, it just didn't marry up for me that I was kind of living those two things so separately. So yeah, that's what kind of led to merging them together eventually. Yeah, sure. And it did like blogging and stuff, then I suppose that naturally once you're writing regular, then that starts turning into books and stuff, right? 
Yeah, so the, the way that came about is because um, I, when I went into treatment last time, I like uh, bullet journaled sort of through that whole process, um, partially because I just find creativity like very therapeutic. But the, the other part of it was that um, the previous times I'd had treatment for my eating disorder, I hadn't really retained anything I'd done or like saved any of the resources or anything like that and then when it came back to thinking oh I might actually need a bit of support again I, I had nothing to reflect back on um so this time I just thought I'm just going to document everything from like day one um all the way until the end and then if there comes a time where I think I need some more support again or things get more difficult I can look back at everything I've already got um and that's how it kind of came about really because I was sharing like snippets of it on social media and people were like oh it's really helpful when you've you know this particular page or this exercise or whatever and then I just thought I could actually just put this together into something um that people can use themselves rather than just having to rely on like stuff that I'm doing and that's how that kind of came about really but I already had a sort of pretty decent like audience by that point which I think helped quite a lot yeah, it's something like something that's like really comforting it during challenging times. It's kind of knowing that you've been there before, right? And yeah, and exactly. come out the other side. And I, I really like this idea of having like this tangible thing that you can look at that's actual physical proof of that. Because yeah. sometimes you need reminder, even though you know something, when you when your brain's playing tricks on you, it's handy to have that physical reference point, right? Yeah, definitely. And especially like one of the things about eating disorders is the the more well you get the the less you remember how bad it was um and for me that's kind of been one of the big things that has held me back is when I get better I think ah it wasn't this wasn't that bad and then I get there and I'm like this is awful I feel terrible um so I made sure I wrote down like I just documented everything about like how awful I felt and how terrible my life was and like how miserable I was and now if I ever get one of those thoughts around I'm just like oh it wasn't that bad I can literally read my own writing back just saying to myself like don't do this again this is this is horrific and now I'm like I can't I can't argue with myself <laughs> I wrote that so um it's just a good bit of evidence for me to be like um yeah to look back on and think oh that is I've done this journey um and it was really really hard and I don't want to have to do it again yeah and it is hard isn't it to remember what it what it was like and you can sort of you know you can you can even talk about it you know you can say oh it was really really hard but they're almost you're almost like you know two steps away from that there's almost like an invisible barrier where you kind of know it was hard but it but it you know you can't you can't feel it again I think we're programmed a little bit like that as humans you know if we could like really remember pain then you know we'd avoid stuff I think childbirth I think you know yeah. I think do you know what I mean like people wouldn't keep having children if you could physically <laughs> yeah. remember th- that pain and I, I do think there's something in our DNA that once something's gone then we're just like we're past it and and onto the onto the yeah. next thing eh? it's like protective isn't it mm, yeah normally like these these habits we've all got they're all um there's normally some sort of reason behind them do you know what I mean <laughs> it might not be relevant anymore but um yeah there's, there's normally uh some sort of yeah DNA biological historical <laughs> reason for it yeah definitely yeah you, you mentioned um creativity before and mm. that's a big part I know that in in the books and stuff that you make what what does creativity look like for you mate what does that word mean to you um it's more like the process than the outcome if that makes sense um so like I really like you they're on my like side here my little box of like all my journals in and like the the outcome of them has been very helpful for me but it was more like the process of like every Sunday that's the day where I do my journal and I record what I've done over the week and I spend time just making something like for this for the process of making it rather also you know aside from just that I'm gonna have something at the end of it so it's just like giving yourself some time for your brain to just not think about what's difficult um because you know when you're not very well and your mental health's not good that's likely to be what you think about almost all of the time so it's just giving yourself space I know for me it was really healing and just thinking about like this is something that I like to do as a person with when I am well um and just almost like reconnecting like allowing yourself to connect to who you are sort of underneath all the things that feel like they're difficult um but it's not always the same thing so like yeah I did my journals obviously I do like a lot of writing I do um things like um 
embroidery and cross stitch and like tangible like physical tangible things I like to be able to do um I like writing but also I find things that I can like physically do with my hands quite nice um because it's quite distracting and it kind of gets me out of my own head a little bit um but I think I think creativity can be in in just any any format really that's what's nice about it as long as it's just you're just doing something you know that gives you a bit of like space from your brain and just you know gives you a bit of freedom to kind of reconnect to to who you are I suppose and to things that you enjoy yeah and doing something for the for the sake of doing something you know yeah. it's like society is really um it's all about that output isn't it it's all about that finished yeah. product and I think it's a skill to be learned to just be able to sit and just do something just for just for the doing that's a that's an important skill to learn isn't it yeah definitely I agree I did some therapy once with the um one of the community mental health team um, and a big part of that was about just like you know my I am somebody who is very um you know type a high achieving very productive and like to the point to my detriment sometimes and a lot of that was about uh you know three days a week I just want you to do something for the sake of doing it not for the sake of like achieving something or having something come out of it at the end you're just doing it because it's nice to do it um and that was it was a real skill it took a long time to be able to to do that and embed it into my routine and I'm still not like brilliant at it but I'm a lot better at it than I was yeah therapy is good for giving us stuff like that you know yeah. it's kind of like uh it's why they call it doing the work right because <laughs> uh, it's you really do have to have to work on it yeah it I did therapy. yeah I did therapy for a long time and I was like I was phoning it in you know like I just I wasn't I wasn't like committed to the process I wasn't really I just I just thought I could sit there and talk and everything would be fine but yeah there's, there's things that we have to to do I'm, I'm gonna uh, make the sort of the assumption as a question that you've tried a few different types of um therapy along the the road yeah yeah so I've had um I had like basic CBT um I have family therapy uh I've had CBTE which is like an eating disorder specific therapy twice um psychodynamic therapy I've had integrated therapy which is like a combination of um DBT act CBT um yeah lots of different types um the cbt i had from my eating disorder the first time i absolutely hated it um i just didn't like the didn't like therapist didn't get one at all um i was only 20 and that's not that old in the grand scheme of things like i don't my only experiences of mental health services have been in cams which is very different to adult services um I didn't really understand like what was expected of me um, and we just really clashed from like the very beginning and um when I met my last therapist um I said I didn't want to do I, I, was, I was I was not in a very good place I, I probably wasn't that pleasant to be around at the time and I was like I said I didn't want to do CBT I don't know why they've given me you um because he was a CBT therapist he was like uh, I went into day patient anyway so he was like well I'll just stay as your case manager through day patient and then we'll revisit it um and so I saw him like every week for about well at least once a week for about six months um and then by the end of it I was like I really like him actually I'm gonna give it a go and it was literally just like absolutely life-changing like so so good um so it was one I do think like the the therapist is more important than the the therapy I think in a lot of ways like the, the modality sort of to me anyway is like secondary to who it is that's delivering it um, so I always say to people like if they're like oh I've tried I don't know whatever therapy CBT for example oh, I've tried CBT it didn't work I always encourage people to just just try you know once more and see how you get on um, because yeah two people's delivery of the same therapy can be so completely different yeah sure and I suppose when you're ready to receive it as well right because we're we're changing we're doing things differently and there'll be times in your life um, yeah when something is, is just not necessary at all and something when it really lands eh? yeah exactly yeah well it was that that must have been a strange shift going from like the child and adolescent services through to the adult services did that feel like stepping into a whole whole different world yeah it's completely different I actually wrote my dissertation about this because oh, um, right. uh, neither children's services or adult services are very good at this um it's getting better it is getting a lot better um but for me I think because I didn't transition as well because I left one and then joined the other like a year or so later um there wasn't any overlap so it was really abrupt um but they're they're very different in the way that they work um 
I do, I think the therapist I had was also just quite a bad example, but it was very much just like, um, you know, you're here because you want to make changes. What changes do you want to make? Go and make them. And I was like, literally, I'm, I don't know what I need to do. That's why I've come here. Like, I don't know how to help myself. I'm, I'm 20. I'm very young. I don't know how, you know, how to sort of bunk. I, I just moved, just moved out of home. Um, you know, I was sort of living on my own for the first time and sort of navigating all of that. I was in like my first like proper sort of full-time job. Um, and I didn't really know kind of, you know, I was just kind of figuring life out at the same time. And I didn't really know like how to, you know, what was expected of me. Um, and then my, my next therapist I got after that, which was the psychodynamic therapy was like really gentle and really kind and kind of like met me where I was at. And that made like all the difference. And then by the time I had CBT again, most recently, he was again, a bit more just like, this is your, he was used to say, it's not your, it's not your fault you're ill but it is your responsibility to do something about it um and probably I, I might not have heard that or taken that so well going back you know maybe when I was 20 21 but actually at the time I was like you're right like you know I spent the last two decades of my life you know going in and out of this cycle I do need to take responsibility for this and I was like really ready to just be like you know whatever you ask me to do I'm gonna do it um and I worked really hard and I did my homework every week and you know I, you know I did everything that was expected of me in that um course of therapy and I think that's one of the reasons it it went so well um but also because I was older I think I was more ready to hear somebody coming at me from that kind of perspective whereas like when I was a lot younger I was just a bit sort of taken aback by it I suppose because that's not really how children's services work um probably yeah I think I think CAMS is as much responsible as adult services for how poor the transition is for some people because we don't set people very well very up you know up very well um to make that change um and also I think adult services are, are not very good at recognizing that an 18 year old's brain is not the same as a 40 year old's brain and that they are they do need different approaches um but I do think that is improving now. yeah I suppose you know if we're just using like age as a guide well people can be very very different at the same age right they can be very yeah. very grown up 18 year olds and very young 18 year olds and you know, if if all that's changing is the service either either side of the age the person in the middle hasn't changed right they just got up on a different day and it's like all oh, right now I'm an adult and now I'm doing no. something else and yeah yeah you're absolutely right it's exactly that it's exactly that yeah it's really interesting what you said there is like being in the right the right time and the right headspace to like really double down on that that commitment you know is it like I've really identified with that you know for for a long time I think I sat in being like mildly poorly because I felt safe mm. <laughs> you know like because it was it felt safer to me than uh than yeah. it, the idea of pushing on and doing more was quite scary I didn't know what was going to happen on the other side it was I was comfort you know so almost like um got in my own way to kind yeah. of stay stay safe even though that place of safety was not a particularly healthy or nice place it was it was uh yeah there's, there's something it's familiar in though isn't it yeah yeah someone's described to me and said like everything might be shit but at least you know every inch of that shit right yeah. at least it's, like, <laughs> yeah. at least it's not un unexpected and uh but yeah sometimes we have to get that point don't we, we say all oh, right it's okay something some, whether it's a, a mindset you know a light comes on or something changes yeah. and it's oh, okay i can double down on this now and, and yeah. do, the, do the hard stuff but um it is the hard stuff hey yeah it's really hard really hard yeah where are you with it now mate if you don't mind me asking where where, where, are, where are you at with this stage of like recovery yeah. and stuff like that really good like probably the probably the best I've ever been I think um this is the longest I've ever not been under mental health services since I was 13 hey. um which is um as much of a surprise to me as other people I think <laughs> made it this far um, I know that I'll have to have them again at some point in the future, but I'm very, you know, I'm not going to like beat myself up about that. Um, but equally, like I do, you know, it's a bit of a milestone to me to say, you know, this is how long um, I've been out of services for now. So I did, I have, I just have a little bit of therapy again um, a few weeks ago, just because like my anxiety is not great, but I, I'm like, I'm perfectly fine. You know, it's kind of like you said, you know, I'm fine, but things could just be a bit better. Um, so it's not massively impactful on my life, but equally, I think I could probably be just feeling a little bit better than I do. Um, but for various reasons, that 
didn't work out with that particular therapist so I'm back on the waiting list now um but it's one of those things where I'm like yeah I can wait that's fine like I'm I'm ticking along perfectly well but I just I don't know getting to a point now where I think I've reached um as far in my recovery as I have it's kind of made me recognize that okay to want your life to be better than it is um and if there are changes you can make then that's fine to make them like it's not urgent and if I didn't get therapy I'm sure I'd be fine but actually if I can do something to make my life a little bit better why not uh so with regards to like my eating disorder yeah I'm very like very well um and sort of my mental health in general is like really good but yeah there are areas where I think maybe that could be a little bit better than it is yeah that's like it's so cool because you can like you know that's one i suppose in the mental health conversation you know when people like us we talk about this stuff a lot we're also talking about therapy um as somewhere people go when they're in crisis mm. or when something really bad's happening and yes of course that's you know that's that is an element of it but there's also that whole therapeutic world of just exploring yourself a little bit right yeah and just kind of like just just unpicking for the for the fun of it not because you're trying to save your own mm-hmm. life but just like you say because you're trying to improve and then it becomes more of um more of an interesting journey right yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i struggle i get a little bit i don't know i struggle to leave it alone do you know what i mean <laughs> like sometimes i'm like oh just like i quite enjoy the the bigger conversations and they're like you know those yeah. light bulb moments and it um but yeah, yeah it can also be beneficial right to kind of like yeah step away and let it breathe but then yeah go back in and 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 see what you can uh see what you can improve yeah, yeah. exactly i did um when i was discharged from eating school service i had sort of a quite gradual transition so i i was under the service again for um like a year and a half solid which is um really a relatively long time um and the way that we sort of transitioned out of it is that i had um i had an appointment and then i had a month and then i had appointment and then had a month and then I had um another one and then I had three months until my next one um so it was sort of like a really gradual phase out and I was sort of like um very anxious for that because I'd been in in sort of very intensive like daily treatment and then gradually it went to weekly um and was just sort of thinking I don't really know how I'm gonna function by myself and it was in those gaps like you said where I did kind of just like let it breathe a little bit I was like oh actually I'm okay like I don't I can do this by myself and I don't have to be sort of relying on seeing somebody every week anymore um, and when that's been like a really consistent part of your life it does feel quite weird to be like oh you know I felt a bit like kind of like Bambi with my legs all wobbling like trying to figure out what I was doing um, but it was having that space in between the sessions that gave me the confidence in like my own abilities to sort of sustain my recovery so I do think there is a lot to be said actually for um, yeah you've had some therapy now let's see how you get on without it and if you need it again come back that's absolutely fine but there there is a lot to be said for sort of building your own confidence and like your own abilities to sort of self-rescue as well as needing support sometimes from elsewhere yeah because you can only learn that by doing can't you and you can't really prepare for it and yeah I've used the uh the the Bambi like metaphor myself because when you've been through something like you know something really really big and you come out the other side you know I've I I felt really after I had like my, my second breakdown in 2020 and I, I, I started trying to go back to work and come out of that. And I felt like, I don't know, everything had just carried on without me for a little bit. And suddenly mm. I was back in it and um, I'd really hold myself back. You know, I turned down work opportunities because I was like, I can't take too much on. What if I get too tired? You yeah. know, and it took me so long to learn like, no, you, you'll, you'll be all right. You can go back to having a normal life but it's it's hard isn't it easing finding that confidence to ease back into doing all the things that you want to be doing yeah definitely especially if you're going back into environments where you've not been well before um like for me when I so I was off work for when I went into the day program I was off work for like just over six months um and then I worked part-time in front of the six months um and I was very unwell in that environment and I I just sort of when I came back didn't really have much confidence in my ability to be able to function in that way anymore and I thought you know on reflection I, I was fine doing that eventually you know I'd, I'd worked you know I'd worked as a nurse for a very long time before that happened but I just completely lost confidence in my ability to like manage any sort of um any stress or like any hardship or anything um and I think because also people very much felt like the need that they had to protect me from that as well. That kind of made my confidence even worse because I thought, oh, other people don't think I can cope with this either. So I definitely can't. Um, And it was only through 
actually putting myself out there that I was able to build my confidence up in sort of like my own abilities to sort of cope with going back into normal life again. Yeah, it can be a really strange space, can't it? Because, you know, mm. it, it, you don't even, even if you have like a bit of a wobble, which you know isn't a, a, a big thing, just, you know, just a bit of a wobble, it can be very difficult to want to ask for help. You yeah. know, I'd always like, wouldn't want to tell my wife I'd had a bad day because I could see in her eyes that she was worried that I was saying it was a bad day and it might turn into one of those really bad days. You know, you yeah. become very aware of the effect that you have on on the people around you and the people you work with and, and things like that. Hey? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's um, yeah, a tricky space. But yeah, I suppose by doing it and proving it to yourself and eventually time just passes, doesn't it? You know, like yeah, one day does. after another and you go, hang on, it's been a, it's been a little <laughs> while and we're all, we're all yeah. okay. Yeah. This is what I used to say to myself, like, I'm just going to I'm just going to do recovery for today. I'll just do it today and then I'll see what happens tomorrow. And then before you know it, it's been a year and longer you know and now I don't have to say to myself I just need to get through the next day because I feel confident I can do it for a week or a month or whatever um but yeah sometimes it is isn't it just like yeah today is all I'm going to think about and then I'll just see how see what happens tomorrow it's a lovely way to look at it yeah it's often like one of those things doesn't it you see it like in like pretty purple writing on a insta grid and kind of like <laughs> roll your eyes and then like th- these things are often very true aren't they? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like you know a therapist says it and you go yeah that makes sense and that light bulb comes on but you probably you know yeah we, we know like one day at a time right and mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> oh mate there you go yeah i suppose um you know one last thing before i let you go mate i'm conscious of your your time this evening but um I, how's the wedding planning going mate yeah good we've got we've got a date we've got a place um as far as we've got so far um but yeah I mean we've got we've got about 18 months uh just under so a long time to be able to plan so I'm hoping it won't feel too stressful because um you know we've given ourselves given ourselves a lot of time to plan it um we've been together for uh 12 years nearly so um I've I feel like I've I've waited very patiently. <laughs> yeah. So it's time, you know. It's time, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, mate. No, special, special time, mate. Special time planning. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, there you go. Oh, well, congratulations anyway. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Gareth, thank you so much for your time tonight, mate. I really appreciate chatting. It was lovely. No, thank you for having me. Big up to that proper mental podcast. Proper mental podcast.